The Bible reading this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, a reading from verse 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 1. And it can be found on page 1011 of the Church Bible. During those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmantha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one and loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything. Clearly, Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Now, just just think, um, you know, the, your boiler packs up. You get the plumber in, and uh, you've been hoping it was going to last you another couple of years, and they say, sorry, you need a new one. Or your car goes in for the MOT, and uh, they call you up and say, sorry, it's a big failure, there's a big problem with the suspension. 
Or you go to the dentist and uh, they, uh, they, they do the, the research stuff and uh, look into your teeth and so on. And, uh, thanks, Chris. And, um, and, then, and then they say, really sorry, but you need two crowns. And one of them's got to have a root canal filling. And uh, you think, oh, dear, that's going to be expensive. I thought they were going to be all right. Or maybe you and I are climbing um, a mountain together and uh, I'm finding it just a bit too much like hard work, getting older, clearly time to retire. And, uh, and I thought I was going to be okay getting up mountains. Well, this morning, uh, we have a spiritual health check, a spiritual health check. Uh, and it could be that things are just a little bit worse than we thought they were. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through the Bible this morning. Pray that uh, uh, we would understand the the broad span of this uh, quite long reading. And we pray that you might be our teacher by your spirit for Jesus' sake. Amen. So a spiritual reality check, or if you like, an MOT. And we're looking at Mark 8. 1 to 26, and the rest of the chapter next week. And the first thing I want to say is uh, this. Uh, We're all deaf, daft, and disabled. Spiritually. Spiritually deaf, daft, and disabled. Now, when we look at this passage, we need to, we need just to remember that, um, as we look at the beginning of Mark chapter 8 and this feeding of the 4,000, we need to, uh, remember that back in chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people in very similar circumstances. Different places. One of them is in a very uh, Jewish area. Uh, this is in a much uh, more Gentile area. And, uh, but what is Mark up to? I mean, when I was at theological college, I had people earnestly telling me that, uh, well, Mark had just made a mistake. He, for some reason, didn't quite realize that he'd told the same story twice and didn't then bother to check it. Well, who's the daft one here, I thought. And uh, clearly, there are two events. They're in different places. It's 4,000. It's 5,000. One's uh, aimed at uh, Jewish folks. One is aimed at Gentile folks and so on. And then when you look at verses 19 to 21, do have a look at verses 19 and 21. Jesus is saying, I did the same miracle twice. So this isn't just Mark making a mistake. But why would Jesus do that? Uh, As far as I can see, there's nowhere else in the New Testament where you actually see the same miracle happening twice. So why does it happen? I mean, we see here things. We see Jesus' compassion. Look at verse 2. I have compassion for these people. And then we see his control over the circumstances, for instance. In in verse 6, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and so on. But what's going on? Why is he doing it a second time? Now, if you had been one of our Bible-handling evenings, one of the things that you would have heard Ben and I talk about was repeated words. And especially if you look at verses 1 to 10 here, those verses are just littered with the word disciples. It's all over the show. Uh, Look at the end of verse 1. Jesus called his disciples to him. It's in, for instance, verse 6. Taken uh, the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Verse 8, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, who picked up the seven basketfuls? It was the disciples and so on. So, uh, So where is this miracle happening? Well, it might not be right at the disciples' fingertips, although it could be. 
And wherever exactly it was happening, wherever this creation of this bread and these more fish and so on, wherever exactly that happened, whether it was at their fingertips or not, actually they were in the front row. They were in the front row of the stalls. They were close up. They were seeing something extraordinary happening. So why did Jesus do the same miracle twice? Because they didn't get it the first time. That's the basic answer. They didn't understand who this was in chapter 6. And they're still pretty slow in chapter 8. And he wants them to understand. So look at, as they're discussing it, look at verse 17 there. And he says there, do you still not see or understand? And then in verse 21, and he said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus wants them to understand. He has done this miracle once and he's done it again so that they would understand. And understand what? Well, who he is. That he is God Almighty come to this earth, that he is the king walking this planet. Now, there are various people who don't understand, to be fair, and it's pretty tricky, isn't it? I mean, God hadn't become a human being before. It's quite a big thing to have happened. And if you've got God walking around with you and you're spending time with God becoming a human being, that is a massive thing to get your arms around and to understand. Of course it is. But through Mark's Gospel... And right up up until this point here, we've got a bit of a hinge in Mark's gospel next week. But here, Jesus is still hammering away and seeking to get them to understand who he is. And he's saying, I'm the one with all authority in the universe and I'm here. I am with you. I've been walking with you. I've been teaching you, living life with you. And I've just created, out of almost next to nothing... Just seven loaves and a few tiddlers, enough to feed 4,000 people. A lot of people didn't quite get this. A lot of people didn't quite understand this. And some really didn't want to believe this. So, for instance, you look in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, the religious. And religion can just be a huge barrier to belief. Because quite often religious people don't like being challenged in terms of what they believe themselves. They think that actually getting to church and singing the hymns and saying the prayers and saying amen at the end, it feels good. And that's all they need to do. But actually, if there's no relationship with God from your heart, then that's a very big problem. And that's the problem with the Pharisees. Their, their religion was actually being very effective at just putting up a barrier between them and God. And Jesus didn't fit their religion. And so they rejected God when actually he was standing there right in front of them. Isn't that tragic? So this kind of misunderstanding and so on can present itself in in different ways. But spiritually, we are all deaf, daft, and disabled. I mean, it took me three or four years to become a Christian as a teenager. I was deaf. 
I just couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear the message. I couldn't hear the gospel. Oh, I did try to understand it. I was just so slow in getting it. I was daft. And I was disabled. I was unable to do anything spiritually of any benefit to grow or know God or anything like that. And you can see the same actually with the disciples here. Deaf, daft, and disabled. You can see it in the Pharisees. Deaf, daft, and disabled. And as a Christian... Actually, we're still human beings and there are still remnants of our old life and it's still a struggle. Actually, Christian people, to a lesser degree, but it's still there, are deaf, daft and disabled. I mean, I don't hear as much or as clearly as I would like to, spiritually. Well, physically as well, actually, ask Anna, but spiritually. I don't understand I don't understand as clearly and as deeply I'd like to. I'm deaf and I'm daft and I don't, uh, I'm not able to achieve things spiritually that I would like to. Deaf, daft and disabled. Of course, better than it was before I was a Christian. Much, much better. But it's still there. It's still lurking. It's still a current going through my life. It's the same for all of us until we get to heaven. Because when we get to heaven, then we're no longer deaf or daft or disabled. Because we are there with no sin in our lives, with no stain of that in our lives, in perfection and in glory for all eternity. And what a thing to look forward to that is. A whole new spiritual realm. Well, there will no longer be slowness and frustration and misunderstanding and spiritual inability. A whole wonderful world that will be. But now, we're spiritually poor. We need God's help in all things, spiritually. We need God's help to pray. We need God's help to understand. We need God's help to see. We need God's help to tell other people. We all need that. We can't do it on our own. By his spirit, he will give us that help because the spirit lives in our lives as God's people. But we desperately need his help. And then, for some of us, we're not just simply deaf daft and disabled we're also dead that's how the bible describes folks unresponsive to god who are unalive spiritually who have yet to become christians when i was a 13 14 15 i was dead spiritually Folks we know who are not believers are dead spiritually. That's how the Bible describes us, isn't it? Just have a look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we we just need to ask the question, do you know you're spiritually alive? Maybe there's a growing realization that you're not quite there yet. You could be woken up from that. You could be woken up from that this morning. So you say to the Lord Jesus, please, would you bring me to that new life with you? It may happen as, as clearly and as straightforwardly as that. But at the same time, let's not be uh, fools. It's often a process. And even when you do hear stories of people dramatically coming to faith in Christ, there's often a backstory, isn't there? Or there's, some, there's been some aunt who's been praying away for donkey's years. Uh, and, uh, uh, and what a joy to have Christian people in our, in our ancestry. But often, uh, 
the whole process of coming to a new life is just very gradual. Seems to me it must be a bit like being pregnant, really. Not that I know much about being pregnant, but, uh, um, but, uh, but you know, <clears throat> when you're first pregnant, you don't know for sure, do you? This first few weeks, you don't know for sure, and then you have the test, and, uh, and then it tells you. And then, uh, and, and, and then you take a while to tell people and so on, eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever you choose and so on, after those landmarks have passed. And uh, spiritual life is often a bit like being pregnant because it grows and develops and in the end gets delightfully obvious. That's the point of verses 22 to 26 here. Look at verses 22 to 26. This healing of this blind man at Bethsaida. It's odd, isn't it? There's no other kind of two-stage healing uh, in the New Testament. And I think it's a picture of how many people who are deaf, daft, disabled, and dead come to a new life in Jesus gradually. Not just kind of two stages, but it's, it's a gradual thing. I think Jesus did that miracle in that way as a visual aid to show people, to show his disciples that actually coming to an understanding, to show us that coming to a, a Christian understanding and that point of commitment often takes a while as Jesus continues to work in our lives. So how do we apply all this? If we're all, and as Christian people, we're still deaf, daft, and disabled to a degree, aren't we? We are. We really are. So how do we respond to this? Uh, we respond to this by uh, be patient, pray, and persist. I think that's how we should respond. That's how we should enable this growth of spiritual life in ourselves. How we should encourage the growth of spiritual life in one another here and in other folks outside of the church. Be, be patient, pray, and persist. It's a bit like gardening or farming. It doesn't all happen straight away. You can just see things beginning to grow now, can't you? Daffodils just poking their heads, snowdrops uh, in the back garden and so on. We can just begin to see those things, but it's a process. And as a process, we need to be patient. And spiritually, often things take time and we need to be patient. And of course, therefore, because they're spiritual things, of course we need to pray. Of course we need to pray. And we need to pray that God would be at work and we thank and we praise him when he does work and we persist because there's a whole world out there who would rather that there was no spiritual progress in your life or mine ever and would want to destroy anything that has been going on there and would want to keep this town in darkness, this city in darkness. So we persist. Well, let's look at those uh, three things just briefly as we head towards the end. First of all, be patient. If you've got any spiritual interest and any heart at all, and I'm sure you have, for unbelieving friends, for unbelieving family, and if you want them to, be, to become Christians, if you've got any heart for them, you would, you would really long and hope it's going to happen right now, wouldn't you? Today. Before it's too late. 
But God's plans are not our plans, and God's timetable is not our timetable, and God's calendar is not our calendar. And we tend to be impatient, don't we? When God wants to grow patience in our lives. Patience is, as you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But patience is there. And God wants to grow that in us by his spirit working in our lives so that we become more patient people. And sometimes I do wonder if God acts deliberately slowly and whether he keeps us praying in order to teach us patience. Because he wants us to learn and grow in patience as the spirit does his work in our lives. Are you a patient person? Are you known to be a bit impatient? Why not pray? Maybe that might be a takeaway for you today. Lord, please help me to be more patient. Please would you grow that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Next, pray. Just thinking about the spiritual battle we're in, the devil is our adversary. Samuel Chadwick wrote this, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. (laughs) That in itself should be sufficient to get us praying, shouldn't it? Um, Do you want the devil to tremble? I do. Well, let's pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for other people here. Pray for your unbelieving friends. Martin Luther, great Reformation guy, said this, Prayer is the most important thing in my life. If I should neglect prayer for a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Or is your faith feeling a little bit kind of extinguished? Would it be true to say that perhaps you're not really praying the way you used to? Or maybe not quite praying at all? Well, the way to get through that is not to say, please all help me to pray for three hours on Friday night, because that ain't going to happen, is it, frankly? Very unlikely. Now, actually, it's little steps, usually. If you want to get back on the horse, then you get back on the horse and you take little steps. So, And I would suggest, for instance, it's much more realistic to say, please, Lord, help me to pray three times tomorrow. So, for instance, you could be saying, uh, use one of those, uh, one of the, uh, one of the prayer apps, uh, and uh, perhaps do that in the morning, for instance. Um, there's that Lectio 365 thing, which will help us to pray. Get the app, you know, go to the app store, Lectio 365, help us to pray. And then maybe at lunchtime, you could just simply use the BH prayer diary. And then maybe in the evening, you could just say the Lord's Prayer. And do that for a week, and then you gradually build it up. You're much more likely to grow in prayer and get back on praying again if you've struggled and fallen away from that slightly. So a little and often, gradually building it up. Praying for others, praying for ourselves, praying for unbelieving friends. Be patient, patient, be patient, pray. And the final thing is persist. Persist. That we're all, to some degree, deaf daft and disabled spiritually so we need to do our best with god's help to persist to keep on going to keep on plodding if you like and the devil will do all in his power to get you to give up 
So, for instance, he would love to give, get you to give up getting to church altogether. He'd love you to say, actually, it's fine on live stream, so I never need to go again. Don't believe the lies. Do not believe the lies. We actually need to be aiming to get back when you feel it's good and right to do so. But don't believe the lies. Say, oh, you'll catch COVID and then you'll die. No, please be here. We really need to be meeting here. And don't believe the lies where he will whisper to you, well, yeah, what we'll do is uh, um, uh, you can come back to church when you've got a new vicar. No, we need to be here two weeks' time, for instance, and on through the vacancy if we possibly can. Do try and be here. Um, I was mentoring another vicar. Um, I suppose it's called mentoring. We just have a natter, really, um, about 10 days ago. And he was saying that his church has had big ups and downs, had huge ups. It's really been really encouraging over the years that we've been meeting. At the moment, it's much more down in the doldrums. Uh, and I was saying, look, you've just got to persist. Churches have seasons. They have good times. They have mediocre times. Sometimes they have bad times. Sometimes it's difficult times. Sometimes it's joyful times. Sometimes frustrating times but for him this is a difficult season that's okay they happen as God's people as God's people we don't want to worry about that and the key thing is whatever the season we persist we keep on going if it's good that's great but if it's mediocre if it's bad if it's difficult We plod on, we keep on going, we persist, we keep on going. Bit rough at the moment? You say, well, I will read my Bible, and I will be praying, and I will be getting to church, and I will be getting to small group. And I'm going, with God's help, to keep on going with the Lord Jesus, because he loves me, and he died for me, and he was raised from the dead for me, and he's alive today for me. So, yeah, I know I'm deaf. And yeah, I know I'm uh, daft. And I know I'm disabled. But I'm not dead. I'm alive. And the Lord Jesus, by his spirit, will help us all to be patient and to pray and persist for the glory of God. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we're all a bit deaf, dull, daft, disabled. But as disciples of yours... We want to grow in our faith. We want to learn more about you. We want to become more like Jesus. And we do pray, Lord, very much that you would help us to do that by your spirit in our lives. Lord, please help us to be uh, patient. Help us to keep going through the kind of mediocre times. Help us to keep looking to you, we pray. Help us to keep praying and help us to keep persisting with you.
day by day by day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.